0: Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. So welcome and thank you for listening or watching Focus Forward Business Podcast, um, where we share the journeys and stories and lessons from uh, amazing entrepreneurs. Um, I'm Sturdy McKee. I help business owners uh, through coaching and programs to make more money, get you know, start out the chaos, prioritize their time, you name it, um, all the kind of unsexy back room stuff. Um, and I'm your host for the podcast. And today I'm really, really excited to bring you Tim Angelillo. Um, he's the founder of Sourcecraft Cocktails. And um, just want to thank you very much for being here, Tim.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me with yourself and your audience. It's Wonderful to be here.
0: Thanks. So will you please tell our listeners, watchers um, a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes. Uh, so Sourcecraft Cocktails which we founded on October 1st, of 2015, as we're coming up on a birthday. Um, cool. It's the largest craft cocktail delivery business in this country. Uh, and what we really solve for is uh, this intersection of what we call mobile convenience, right? We all have one of these. For those of you listening in, that is an iPhone or Android device, which I refer to as your remote control to life, Uh, and we're we're solving this intersection of mobile convenience and what we call curated trial, right? So, being able to try spirits, uh, liquor, uh, and being able to try it in a cocktail, Uh, and what what that means. When you take your consumer hat, right? So we take our, ooh, I like Don Julio on Friday night. When you take that hat off and you put your Wharton MBA hat, which I would uh, like to share with your audience, I do not have, I have a working MBA, but no actual formal training. Um, the reality is, when you look at the alcohol industry as a business, it's a $254 billion a year US marketplace and it's recession proof quite literally in a kind of
0: goes the opposite way during a recession, right?
1: It actually goes up. You're one right. like we as consumers numb the pain. Uh, and, and you could say, well, it couldn't possibly in a pandemic, right? because the state, my state governor, she closed the restaurants, right She closed half of the distribution points. Clearly it didn't grow. Like not only did it grow, it grew by double digits. US consumers make 14% more ounces of alcohol in 2020 than 2019. So when you think about that world, right? Huge restful market, never gonna decline. In fact, when shit hits the fan, it goes up. And on the flip side, you have a regulatory environment that is literally 90 years old. Mm -hmm. December 5th, 1933 the 21st amendment to our United States constitution. So that old informal document, right? And ultimately that's what we're solving, is we're, we're making for a millennial female audience, we're making the alcohol industry function like the rest of her life. It's how she gets a car, Uber. It's how she gets somebody else's house, Airbnb. It's how she gets her apparel, rent the runway. It's how she gets her groceries, Amazon. We made the alcohol industry fit what she wanted curated experience with mobile convenience, and we made it fit inside of the sandbox of the three tiered system of alcohol distribution, which is what the 21st Amendment establishes.
0: Mm -hmm. And without getting into the technical side of that stuff just yet anyway, how did you get started? Why why this business, why this industry, why what you're doing specifically with um, Source?
1: Yeah, it's a um, great question. It's a sort of for me personally, it sits at the intersection of my career track and sort of me solving a personal problem that I felt like many others uh, would would also suffer from. So uh, on my career track, I've actually worked in each of the three tiers of the alcohol industry. Uh, so I worked at the largest on-premise account, which is the retailer. I worked for the largest distributor and I worked for the fastest growing flavored vodka company in the last two decades in this country. Uh, And so I had actually sat in each of the three tiers. So not only did I know the regulation and how it applied to each of the tiers, I also knew what worked and what was painful based on that regulation. And so I had a, a tremendous amount of working knowledge in a very, 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 very tiny niche. It just so happened that that niche was on the other end of a $254 billion monster that'll never decline the U.S. alcohol industry. Um, On a personal level, um, it was the Super Bowl 2015. Uh, It was my wife's birthday. And most importantly to me, I was introducing my only daughter, Grace, who is my third uh, child. I was introducing her to all my family and friends. So it was a really important moment in our family's uh, history. We had a hundred people come over to the house to watch the Super Bowl and celebrate my wife's birthday and meet my beloved daughter. Uh, and I decided because we're based and headquartered here in Austin, I'm like, ooh, margaritas. That's what we drink, like water. Like we should make homemade margaritas. And I was super frustrated that it took me six hours, and I had to go to like four or five different stores and eight hundred dollars. And then the most annoying part of it all after I hand-squeezed the lines and I hand-polished all the glasses and I brought in the Himalayan pink whatever salt, right? I brought all that stuff, going to all these different stores, buying it all, and then I'm sitting there in the first quarter of the Super Bowl and I look out across my living room and everybody has a cheap Mexican beer. And, like, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So the, the, the big word in my head, like a billboard every day, why? 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 I just
0: blink. So I'm like margaritas oh are a whole lot better, right?
1: Totally. So I start walking. I've literally got my daughter in my hand. I'm like, hey man, did you want a margarita? They're like, yeah, definitely. I'm like, why didn't you make one? They're like, ah, I didn't know how. And then I went to the next lady. I'm like, hey, did you want a margarita? Absolutely. So much better than this beer. I'm like, why didn't you make one? Ah, I'm a third generation Texan. I didn't want to get made fun of for not knowing how to make it. So I put my daughter <laughs> to my wife and I ended up bartending the next three quarters of that football game. Everybody had a blast except for me. It's up here, yeah. And the next morning, my um, co-founder Angel Rogers called me and said, "Oh, well, how was Allison? That's my wife. How was Allison's birthday?" It was terrible. She was. What do you mean? Did Gracie throw up? That's my daughter. Did Gracie spit up on right. somebody? I'm like, never my daughter. She's perfect. She would never do that, right? She goes, "Well, why?" Did you not have a good time? And I told her the story that I just shared with you and your audience, which is I had to go to all these stores. I had to hand squeeze lives. I bartended my own Super Bowl party when I really wanted to be introducing my daughter to all my friends and family. And she and I told her that story and I said, somebody should have sourced that from my phone to my front door. And boom, there it was. You know, six months, $3 million of legal fees later, here we are. <laughs>
0: right. right. Because you're, I mean, A lot of what I do, and my background's been in healthcare, and it's heavily regulated, but I mean, the alcohol industry and distribution, all the rest of it is incredibly heavily regulated. It it,
1: is. Yeah, yeah. and here's the thing I I always like to start with on that side, uh, is number one, it should be. It's a controlled substance, and it can do individual and public harm if not handled properly and enjoyed properly. And so I think it's really important to level set of, hey, this is an intoxicant, and so it's the the regulators are absolutely doing the job that we as an American society need them to do, which is making sure that it's being handled properly. so I always like to make sure I start um, there. The second thing you have to know is that the three-tiered system of alcohol distribution, which ended prohibition, the time period in this country's history, when all the entire category of alcohol was illegal. It was illegal to make it, It was illegal to bootleg it, which is that time period's word for distribute. Uh, It was illegal to sell it, right? We all in the 21st century know a speakeasy is a marketing idea. Like, ooh, it's so trendy, it's a speakeasy, it doesn't have a name on the door, how cute. And it is fun, right? But the reality is in 1932, it really didn't have a name on the door because it was illegal to (laughs) own the door operate the door or be inside the door right and the reason why is that we as an american society the beacon on the hill right took the moral high ground and made the entire category illegal for 14 years we never as society intended for this product category to ever come back what changed was our economic reality the great depression and the alcohol industry and the three tiered system were built to raise as much tax revenue as humanly possible to pay for the new deal and to this evening that same three-tiered system allows the government to collect taxes 19 times on this every 19. single bottle of alcohol and as a result because it's still doing exactly what it was designed to do which is maximize the tax revenue opportunity that system will not change and so i think you you, when you think about the alcohol regulatory environment there's two things you always have to remember one is absolutely necessary for our own safety and the safety of our community and number two is it is paying for lots of other public works programs that the government needs the tax revenue to be able to fund Uh, And as a result of it being so effective, it's still doing it 19 times on every bottle of Tito's, right? That's crazy. Um, It's not going to change. And so that's the environment to which we entered the market, which was, wow, because of the three-tiered system, the bottle of alcohol cannot get delivered to an unlicensed store. It's what we call the non-premise. So it's any doorknob that is not a bar or a liquor store. And that's what we invented, the legal distribution to those non-premise stores, your home, your office, an art gallery, an apparel retail store. We've opened up all those new points of distribution. And what makes us different, not better or worse, than the other four e-com players in the alcohol industry, Reserve Bar, Drizzly, Mini Bar, Saucy, those are the other big four, right? We're in the top five. What makes us different, and again, it's very important. It's not better or worse, it's just different. We're the only one of the five that deliver the entire experience. So we're the only one that, that curate an incomplete complete cocktail experience. The bottle of alcohol plus the barware, plus the glassware, plus all the fresh mixers, all made in your city, delivered on that same day by an actual mixologist. And, and the reason why is the part of the market that we serve and I always give it to people in an apparel context right in terms of shopping there's Kohl's and there's Saks Fifth Avenue there's nothing wrong with shopping at Kohl's in the same way that there's nothing wrong with having a Miller High Life right this is not the market we serve we serve a Saks Fifth Avenue audience right we serve an audience that wants a premium spirit Don Julio Patron we serve an audience that wants the complete experience, not just the effect of alcohol. So we're serving a margarita, we're serving a fresh paloma, we're serving an actual cocktail, uh, because that's the end of the market that we serve, uh, and that's what they want with their time and their disposable income. How
0: About CFT Leguas. Say it one more time. CFT Leguas. Yes. got the tequila. Absolutely. Well, I mean. I I
1: is the fastest growing uh, agave in general, fastest growing spirit category in this country. Um, And and it's remarkable the amount of of growth. And I think part of what makes that growth and part of what we're focused on sourcing is in addition to the physical elements, we're sourcing the educational experience in an approachable way, right? In a fun way, in a way that that, um, never, ever, ever Talks down to someone who might know less than we do, right? We're constantly talking about. Great, tell me what you do know about agave, and then let me share some other things you might not know. As an example, they are different plants, right? When people are like, "Oh, tequila and mezcal, same thing." I'm like, "Well, that would be like a lemon and a strawberry, the same thing. They're both fruit." After that, we have some differences, right? But, and so we talk to people about where the agave plant comes from, how it's raised, one's farm raised, right? Like corn, they line it up in Mexico, they grow it one big straight line. As far as the, eye can see one's grown in the wild. One takes three times as long to mature. Uh, The only thing that's really similar about them, other than they share a name, uh, is that they're harvested in the same way, right? You take the pina the heart, looks like the shape of a football, out of the all three agave plants. And after that, everything else changes again. Right, my favorite example is mezcal is smoky in its taste profile because they smoke that pina like a brisket, right? And I think once people understand, like, oh, I get it. So anytime I see the word mezcal on a cocktail menu when I go out, it's going to be smoking. I'm like, yes, right, Right? and that barbecue tequila, totally. (laughs) And that's what we're trying to do, right? Is we're trying, we're not trying to replace the craft cocktail bar experience. I want you to go out. I'm going to take my wife out at least once a month for date night if I want to stay happily married, right? Um, what we're trying to do is make you more comfortable approaching the cocktail menu because you know what it is you're going to get because we've sourced the knowledge and the ingredients for you to be a pro bartender at home.
0: Well, you're making us all feel better too about our margaritas since we're supporting so many other things through the 19 taxes, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> amen. <laughs> So when you go back to the beginning, though, do you wish you had, I mean, done anything differently? I mean, you talked about the legal fees, some of the other, you know, the frustrations in the beginning. But what, what would, what did, what have you learned that you would have, like, if you were going to do it all over, going to start something from scratch, what would you do differently at this stage?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think that's a really, I lo- that's a great question. Um, I pause because I really want to think on that. Um, I, I think there are three items. Number one. I would remind myself that success is not in a straight line. So we don't look at it as win or lose. It's win or learn. And those learnings, which are, let's not be cute about the semantics, are failures, right? Those learning lessons where you failed and you failed miserably and you hit your head straight into the brick wall. Those are the most important things to learn from. So when you reload and try again, you apply that learning and you swing as hard as you possibly can. And I don't care if you have to swing a hundred times, right? The the hundredth swing is just as hard as the first one. And I think you have to remember when you're starting from scratch, right? You're trying to birth a new product or service. You're trying to find a product market fit. You're trying to find the right strategy. You're trying to build a brand voice. You're trying to build a company, all of those things. Nobody, and I think we get because of the media, they only show the five percent of entrepreneurs who are successful. They don't show the other 95% of us who are either failing or slugging it out and trying to learn enough to get to success. I think you have to remember that success is not in a straight line. It won't you won't have the best product and you won't have the best company and you won't be of maximized service to your audience if you haven't failed. And learn those lessons to make the product, the people, the process better. So that that's right. number one. I think number two, for us, we own the last one mile. It's the easiest thing, Sturdy, I could possibly say in my entire career, and it is without doubt the most difficult over the last twenty five years. Right, a logistics company that really delivers. Each of our cocktail kits has anywhere from eight to twenty four widgets, if you will, right? Glassware, bar tools, ingredients that go into the fresh mixes. So there are eight to 24 specific items that all have to come together at the exact right point in time in eight different commercial kitchens around this country and all have to, all of which are disposable, right? Like they, they all expire like milk or eggs. So they have to be not only at the right point in time, they have to be fresh at the peak of their freshness, and all that has to go get delivered to literally millions of doors across this country. And, and the operational challenges there, I think for us, if I could go back and do it again, I would have hired um, a COO type much earlier in the business. Right? We, we kept doing the thing that I think we as entrepreneurs are, are um, at high risk, like, nah, I can do it. Like being so there and knowing what you can't do is really important. And I think if I could go back and do it again, I would have brought a COO in earlier to help who had seen around those corners of a logistics business earlier in the stage of the business.
0: Well, and it's not even that you can't do it. It's that why should you have to reinvent the wheel, right? Why do you have to, you know, you got enough, this business is full of challenges. Taking on, un, I mean, that's something I'm passionate about and help folks with too. Is like, why take on unnecessary challenges? Why make it harder for yourself? It's it's hard enough. Well, <laughs> it's I, hard enough.
1: And and I think you're 100 right on hard enough. Uh, we we have uh, one of our operations managers in one of our local markets likes to say, "Boss, I w- I want to work smarter, not harder." Like, amen. Uh, and I think I think I could have learned from your coaching there. Um, because I think we as entrepreneurs are sort of fighting three things when we make that decision. We're, we're fighting, we're going really fast, so sometimes it's really hard to see the forest and not the bark of the tree. Uh, I think because we are out on the high wire with no net all by ourselves, the fierce independence that is required to have that kind of courage Will also lend us to the viewpoint of I can do anything if I just work hard enough um, and that's probably true to some extent. And then lastly, there's an economic reality to it. Right. You bring in another sure. senior level. Uh, but I think that for us, it would we would have, you know, we're scaling in triple digits every year, year over year. So I think we would have gotten to a much more material number you know, the, the tens to hundreds of millions of dollars faster if we, you know, had had brought that COO. And then and the third and final thing I would say is, and, and it's really, I'm going to quote Aaron Rodgers, in fact. So uh, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers, if you'll permit me, uh, actually of just <laughs> read this quote to my management team. And this is an article uh, about him coming back into the locker room and what he said, and what had been reported in the media was how remarkable he was to walk back into that locker room after all the controversy of is he gonna come back, is he not gonna come back? Is he gonna retire? Whatever. And how he basically, in one paragraph, took over the locker room as a leader again. And the media want to know what he said. And this is this is how I feel about. If and when I start something from scratch, you have to be able to remember this. Roger says, I quote, I can't remember the exact words, but I said your thoughts are becoming real things. I talked about a positive mindset. I talked a lot about positivity and about mindset and about manifestation and about embracing our journey. That's the stuff that's really important to me. Be present today this is the greatest time of our lives. And I think you have to remember that, particularly if you're going to embark on entrepreneurship later in your career, I think it's really important to remember that your mindset will be manifested into your organization's reality, right? And if you wanna be jaded about it, or you wanna bring a bad attitude about it, or you wanna claim you're tired, guess what? the rest of the company and which means the rest of the product experience for the customer is going to feel like that and you have to remember that we're blessed to be able to do this it's our it's your vision it's your dream it's your passion if you're doing this for money you will be part of the 95%
0: that fail i was just going to call it like almost an, certainly yeah almost there's certainly yeah there's got to be more to it than that but you brought up something earlier um you worked in all three tiers of the alcohol, spirits, liquor industry. Um, you know, you talked about the frustration with the Super Bowl party and and all that. But why why entrepreneurship? Why why did you decide to go out and found and start a company versus going and getting another job, trying to work from the inside, something like that?
1: Oh, well, great great question. It wasn't because I wanted to be my own boss. I, can, I I get asked that question a lot when I'm mentoring folks and I do as much of that as I think I can be useful, which means I um, take as many opportunities as I can really contribute to. So I don't take 20 because I wouldn't do 20 well, right? I'm, I'm probably mentoring at any time two, maybe three people max because it's just bandwidth and I want to make sure that I'm really present. Uh, like Mr. Aaron Rodgers said, and I'm not a Green Bay Packer fan for the record. So I'll, I'll put that out there um, the I'm a, I'm a fan of good leadership. And that was a good example of good leadership. So I'm often asked like, oh, is it great to be your own boss? And I said, hey, the thing you got to remember about being your own boss is there's one word I want you to memorize and I want you to chant like a mantra over and over and over again, morning, noon and night, and that word is accountability. Because being the entrepreneur and quote unquote being your own boss means you're accountable for absolutely everything. You're accountable for payroll running. You're accountable for did the insurance policy get renewed or not. You're accountable for the wins. You're accountable for the losses. You're really account- accountable for the really messy failure that looks like a train wreck, right? And, and I think the part about entrepreneurship for me was that I had gotten to a point in my career because I had worked in the three tiers and because I understood part of which is a lobbyist, right? So your, your job you're paid to know the laws very specifically and know who to call to help influence a position on the law. So I had a really, really deep industry knowledge in a very, very, very tiny niche of this uh, world. And because of that experience, I felt very confident that I could lead and feel very comfortable being accountable for the decisions in every regard, including the ones that were a failure. And that's really what I wanted to do is I wanted to give people back their time. You shouldn't have to go to three stores and spend six hours and squeeze lime. You have better things to do with your time. Uh, And I don't think you should settle for an RTD or a cheap glass of wine in a plastic cup when you're introducing your daughter to all your friends and family. The the moment that everybody gathered virtually or in person mattered, right? And and that's really the trade-off that that we felt like people had to make. It was either I have to invest a lot of time in something that's very tactile that I don't really want to do, I'm not really comfortable doing, and I could probably be deploying better, or I have to settle for an RTD in a can that really doesn't taste very good, right? And it was like, boy, that's a terrible trade-off and when you time, I could fix that to a 250 plus billion dollar marketplace that will never decline. It was like, hmm, I bet you I could fix that for millions and millions of Americans, and that's what we've done.
0: Oh, cool, thanks. Um, so, as a as a founder, owner, co founder, entrepreneur, time is, and we talked about mentioned this earlier, but time is one of those things that's always. An issue, right? Um, Having enough time. What advice or what tricks have you learned that have helped you to prioritize and manage your time? That might be helpful for our audience.
1: Yeah, I love that question. So time for me is not an issue; it's the issue. Uh, So I'm I'm blessed. I also um, happened to have married over my head by a long margin, uh, and uh, I happen to have three. Yeah, it's best, best deal I ever did. Uh, and I knew it. Uh, and that's why this company's headquartered in Austin, Texas, where my wife's from, and not Manhattan Beach, California, <laughs> which I'm like, man, if I'm willing to give up that view of that Pacific Ocean at sunset, I'm telling you, I knew what I got into, and I knew I was blessed to do it. So I have three small children as well under the age of 10. So you compound, uh, you know, a triple digit scaling Startup in the alcohol industry on top of a really robust and blessed full family life. And it's like, man, times the issue. So I, I never, to my, my coaching or guidance or suggestion unsolicited at that around time is this, don't shoot for something that's unobtainable, perfection. I'm never focused on that peak. It doesn't exist. This idea of I'm living my best life in Instagram, that's BS. It's literally BS. And I'll prove it to you. Look at your camera roll on your iPhone or Android device, at the three pictures before said best life and the three pictures after, right? No one is actually living the proverbial best life. That is not how life works. So, A highlight reel. <laughs> right? Don't try to shoot for. Perfection in you know, a work-life balance because it doesn't flip and exist. What I'm always shooting for is what I I like to refer to as is the correct P, uh, which is I'm focused on being present. Right. That I the, if when I am coaching my six-year-old daughter's softball team, the pink diamonds, and yes, I have a hot pink hat, shoes, belt, and jersey, oh. and i with a proudly. Because my little girl asked, I'm not on Slack, period. I don't even bring my iPhone out of the car to the softball field. Doesn't happen. (laughs) Mainly because I don't trust myself not to look at the damn thing, right? Now, the reverse is true. When you and I are visiting, I'm not on my iPhone trying to set the lineup for the pink diamond softball team on Saturday right? You have to be present, fully, completely 110% present in that moment at that task. We refer to them as the work drawer, right? When I'm in the work drawer, I'm in the work drawer, right? And I'm going to be 110% focused and that's going to be the time allocated and I'm going to give it everything I possibly can. And the 50% of things that are wins, great. The 50% of things that are learns, which is my hit rate. Every other thing I do fails miserably. Everything. Right. And I know that and I'm great with those odds because those are the ones I'm going to focus on. Like, great. What in that experiment didn't work? So I changed the formula, not repeating the exact same problem and go at it again. And so I think as you as entrepreneurs times your most valuable resources, the one thing you can't buy more of. So my suggestion is don't try to be perfect. That's not possible. So don't waste time on things that aren't actual reality be present. Be fully committed in the time block that you're in at what you're doing. Finish it to 100% your best possible effort and know that one out of every two is going to be a real good learning opportunity that most other normal people would call a fail.
0: <laughs> right, right. No, I love that. I a big advocate of one thing at a time, stay focused, do that thing. Um, yeah, we have some folks advocate multitasking. It's just uh, it's not the way our brains work but no it's um,
1: it's pure anatomy it, it fundamentally is physically impossible for us as human beings like that's science you know and, yeah. and and i think you you're coaching people in a really important way which is i think one of the biggest reasons that we fail is because we try to do too many things and don't do anything well so the way we talk about it inside at source cocktails is doing something Fifty percent of the way has a one hundred percent failure rate. Right. So if I don't, if I only do halfway, it's going to fail one hundred percent of the time. And the most annoying thing possible about that is then you really start wasting time with what I call a case of the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Why well, shoulda done this? Or I coulda done that. Or my least favorite of all, if I woulda done this, this totally woulda worked. Like, nope. You know, you went 50% of the way and it had 100% failure rate. So now we don't even know if the experiment was any good. So we can't learn anything to not make this mistake, right? So be present in that time block. Be communicating with the organization. So they know when I'm going to be at Pink Diamond softball and they know I'm not going to have my phone. And they know for those two hours, Slack is going to need to have other leaders make the decisions. And I've been clear with those leaders of who's covering for me. So that I can really be present, um, helping my daughter be the best first baseman a six-year-old softball's ever seen. <laughs> Love
0: it. So the other thing, Tim, that uh, we run into a lot, I, I've seen up close and personal an awful lot of, is entrepreneurs, business owners feel like they're out there on their own. They they can get a, a real sense of isolation, and um, you know, and back to what you mentioned earlier too, the media and all the stories focus on. know that i'm not even sure it's five percent but they they focus on you know all the the successes and the wild and crazy successes and the it's like social media the rainbows and unicorn stuff right they don't focus on the the real challenges and the learnings and the failures and the things that we can learn from so but but by the same token all of us are experiencing those challenges if you own a business you have problems there there are just you know what problem is it going to be today kind of a prevailing question so what challenges are you facing because i know people will look up to you and think oh we well, have a much bigger your business you've got it all solved and figured out um but i know you're still coming up against obstacles challenges things that you need to overcome what what are you working on now
1: yeah um we we'll back up just one second um sure i i think it is very very good time invested to state the obvious for us entrepreneurs, which is it's lonely at the top. Yeah. Really, really lonely. And I know for those of you that might aspire to this, you're like, that guy's crazy. He's at the top of the largest craft cocktail delivery business, how could it possibly be lonely? They go through freight train fulls of alcohol every week, right? What's lonely about that? You are the party, right? It, it, that's the reality and i think it's good that everyone hears that it is very very lonely at the top and what makes it lonely is that the, again the word that you got to memorize if you want to quote unquote be your own boss is that the accountability that's what makes it lonely like you're making mm-hmm. all every single decision the little tiny micro ones right like i just made a decision on what color was going to be on the back of an envelope as a wax seal, right? Now, marketing had done all the work and basically said, okay, Tim, it's option A or option B, which do you want, right? But those are the little tiny, tiny micro all the way up to, are we gonna take this private equity company's offer to sell the company, right? the Really big right. questions, right? Um, and, and because you're accountable to all of them and you're making and you know that and the stress that comes with that, I think it can be very, very isolating. So I think the one part that I would like to suggest um and, and that i do is one i have a really i'm really blessed I actually just talked to one of them yesterday um jordan Steele, who who is a newscaster that interviewed source long long time ago now he's the number one meteorologist in the country and he's in my inner 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 group and when i either have a big decision that i'm not sure of or i made a big decision and it didn't work out well it's a big learning lesson or I just need somebody to talk to, I've got about a half a dozen people that are absolutely family. They're not blood related, but they are my work family. And those are the people that I'll lean on, if nothing else, just to have somebody to bounce some things off of. And so I think the first thing I would suggest that I like to work on is keep that, make time for that group of six. Some people have a bigger one, right? I I can, I try to keep, those types of parts of my life really, really concentrated because again, I I, I want to be present in everything. And if I had 16, I wouldn't be able to be responsible for giving value back to all 16. So my my group's probably a little tighter knit than most, but have that group of six. that's sort of your sanity check. And then number two is utilize the 21st century tools that are out there for yourself and members of your organization from a mental health perspective. It has been a long, terrible two years for every business leader. Things like Ginger, which is what we use and what we provide for our company, which is basically Zoom mental health, is really fantastic. And it's great if it's this type of exercising of your mind and your emotional soul is just as important as running or lifting weights or whatever other physical activity that we all view as society as something that's important for us to be physically fit to be right? the leader, right? The mentally physically fit part is also important and acknowledging uh, those two. And then the, the last thing I'd say in terms of what kind of challenges do, do we face that I think might be uh, relevant for your audience is, it doesn't matter what scale you're at right you could be pre-revenue which is a fancy silicon valley way to say i got an idea and i might have it on a powerpoint slide right I've i got no account. money <laughs> no i got no money i haven't sold anything i haven't gotten any feedback on the product like i have an idea and a dream and that's great and that's a good place to start we all start there right um or you could be you know, large cocktail business in a really big addressable market, right? And they're they're all kind, or you could be Elon Musk, Tesla, right? Solving huge problems at huge scale with generations of impact, right? There are all different sorts of levels. The part that I would suggest, and this is how we express it, we call it a blessed full life. Because the full part particularly as you start to scale between those levels starts to be very overwhelming. It does for all that it It does for me on multiple times in the same day, I'm like, Oh my God, head's going to explode. Right. Uh, and that could be at home, right? That could be like, what do you mean? I've got to drop one kid off. I've got to pick another kid up. And yet I'm supposed to be on the softball field and all that's supposed to be at the same time. And Oh my God, the Slack channel is exploding. Right that moment of fullness that's why we level set to it's a blessed full life because the full part when it feels overwhelming and it does for all of us particularly at this time period you gotta remember that that fullness is the blessing right we're blessed that the slack channel is blowing up because there are lots of people that work on the company to be of service to our customers we're blessed that we have three kids and they would are healthy enough to play athletics and they actually want us to be there, right? Because my oldest one's almost a teenager. Uh, That shot clock's about to expire. You'd be like, dad who, you know? And and so you gotta remember putting it in that order. It doesn't mean the fullness isn't overwhelming, right? But it it reminds you to be grateful for the fullness because that fullness is a blessing that we were each given. And And I think it's really important to think through that in the right mind space, because again, what you project will manifest into reality, right? And so you know how that works, I don't know. What's the higher power that's bigger than all of this? I also don't know. It has many names, universe, tree, God, Allah, Buddha. I'm not sure which one's the right one. There's definitely something bigger than us, right? And that Something bigger is what is giving us these blessings that if we work hard, right? And we learn, win, or learn. Apply learning, try again. And again, and again, and again, right? Good things will happen over long periods of time that you won't really be able to see until you get decades from now and you look back. And what you want to remember is, am I
0: okay being accountable? for all those decisions. Now, that's awesome, thank you. Um, so I always like to ask this too, what's your proudest moment in your business so far? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. Um, and I'll maybe answer this in a little bit of uh, a different way. And we have thousands of people, both full-time employees and independent contractors that now help us be of service to consumers and enterprise clients uh by literally we deliver joy that's my job i bring you fun right and i think my proudest moment is not only just having thousands of people that would want to give us their most important thing their professional time right And, and, and we would be blessed to have that time and that responsibility to be accountable to trying to help to the best of our ability them grow their careers and are we perfect nope We're definitely not perfect, right? And we're not trying to be perfect. We're trying to be excellent, right? We're trying to get it right 97% of the time. 3% Murphy's gonna show up and just explode all over the situation, right? Um, But we're trying to stay in that 97% range. Um, and, And I think one of my most proudest moments is when you look back and you look at all these people that are contributing to being of service and creating this company and creating this service and for me, we we recently went through a head of operations surge and I look at the caliber of people and where they wanted to leave Walmart, Amazon, Anheuser. I'm like, I'm sorry, you you realize that we're a startup, right? Do we want to leave Walmart? Are you sure? You know, like it it but when you look at that and and the reason that they do is because we've built something that we can clearly articulate what our North star is to be of service and that people want to be a part of. And I think that's my most exciting moment is being able to really witness that uh, and watch other people have fun and watch other people represent our North star to be of service. And, and that's the part where it's like, man, we, you know, we 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 have built something that not only the consumer enjoy, but people internally um, like contributing to. Do we like everything about each of our days? No, that's also not reality. Work is. That's important. why they call it work, right? Yeah, totally. Like, some of it sucks, right? And that's okay yeah. too. You gotta grind out. We we refer to it as the three T's. Our north stars view of service, and we call them the three T's: trust, transparency, and tenacity. And without that tenacity, right? We call it the want to. Do you want? (laughs) That's a perfect right. That and here's our filter. Elon Musk put a Tesla into outer space as a convertible with Space Odyssey playing, with a cardboard cutout of an astronaut and a camera on the hood, and got Earth as his backdrop as PR stuff. That's real rocket science, and they blew six six rockets up with cherry red Teslas inside of them before the seventh one actually got there. So they had a lot of win and learn, right? You blow a rocket up, the least of your concerns is the cost of the Tesla, right? That's a pretty big learning lesson, right? Six times. If he can do that, I'm pretty sure we can do anything we want with our little craft cocktail delivery business if we want to right and i think that's the part where it's have a north star be able to clearly articulate your company values and keep your head down and win learn win learn win learn finish them all in being present each task 100 percent. and you wake up six seven years from now and you be like oh my god there are thousands of people that are here who are equally fired up about the group and we're talking about picking off the head of e-commerce from some of the biggest retail players in the world and they're begging us to come here. And it's like, man, that's an unbelievable accomplishment. and something that, you know, I think, you know, not just myself, but a lot of leadership teams are very,
0: very proud of. Yeah, oh yeah, That's a that's a great position to be in too.
1: Particularly right now, right? I think the one last thing that would probably be relevant for your audience that we all should be thinking about is your labor, is your product. I don't care if you make chips. I don't care chips, meaning computer processing. I don't care if you make chips, meaning potato chips. I don't care chips, chips of paint. Like everybody has human capital and that human capital and treating the people that are inside your company is critically important. It's more important than even how you're treating your investors or your clients, because without your people, you're not gonna have those or clients, right? And so you gotta make sure that you're really putting in the thought process and you're treating the people who are at the company today with just as much, if not more, respect, financial compensation, time investment than the new people, right? I read this great article the other day that a hiring manager was gonna offer two times amount of money to somebody external and somebody internal. It's like, that's ridiculously stupid. The person internal has institutional knowledge. If right. first of all, you shouldn't be that far off 100%, right? <laughs> have right. Priced up the actual contribution properly. And secondly, if you're gonna be on one of those two sides, you should be two to one to the internal person who has some clue about what you do and how you do it and who does what, right? But I think for as employers, we have not always done a good job thinking about the people that are on the boat with us, right? Well, and those are people you got to take care of.
0: Yeah, and I just want to congratulate you too, and call something out here because a couple of things you mentioned that folks might not have really locked in on is your north star, part of your vision, your three T's, or what I would call core values. But you're you put these things in place that then define your culture that mean the people that are internal are on the right bus because they fit with the culture. And that's why folks want to join you because they they see this. And I don't. I think sometimes business owners, entrepreneurs get kind of caught up in this as being the soft side and the fruity and the nice to have kind of thing. It's such a critical foundational component to your ultimate success. So congratulations on that, but I wanted to specifically call that out. Thank you. I think it's the
1: critical part, right? Like it, it,
0: it's, definitely it's foundational that. to almost everything else.
1: Yeah. We put every single one of those decisions through those three T's. Perfect. Exactly. exactly. Firing, right? Perfect. Including working someone out of the company. If we don't think that they fit the be of service and here the three T's. And we're really, really fortunate that our cultural values are very 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 tightly wound meaning they build on top of one another the reason that we only hire people that really want to be of service is we trust that when we have what we call the healthy debate which i promise you if you look from the outside in some mm-hmm. of our meetings you would be like wow those people are straight up yelling at one another like we're <laughs> with an amount of enthusiasm and passion from at times different very very different and can be conflicting viewpoints right because every organization has a wedge sales marketing right finance and sales right in our world it's sales and operations right what they sell mm-hmm. operations has to deliver how well it gets delivered determines whether sales can continue to renew the client right so they're they're fundamentally the yin yang but they are at odds at some at some points. And we trust that everyone can really say how they feel because we know the North Star is. Is this the best way to be of service? Right? You can be okay. transparent about what's a win and transparent about what's a learn, right? And you know if you have a want to, and you apply the learning, and you're willing to do it at sometimes dozens plural. Of it bats over and over again. Strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out. Well, tee it up again. Just don't miss the same pitch this time. Right? That's the other thing as entrepreneurs we have to be careful of. Are you slowing down and being present in the learning exercise? The only time you should be pissed about failure. I'm not saying you should be happy about it. I'm I'm thoroughly dishappy. It tastes terrible which is a good thing. That means I don't want to repeat it, right? But the only time I'm actually pissed is if we have to learn the same lesson twice, because then I'm accountable for not having myself or the company slow down enough to actually learn the lesson and apply it. Right, right. And, and I think it just gets down back down to this idea of time management, which is don't try to multitask. Don't try to do Slack, text, email, and a Zoom all at the same time, because you know what? you're going to suck at all four of them because you did all of them at 25%, right? And it's like, well, 25% of the way, also still 100% failure rate, right? right? Go 100% of the way, listen for the win, learn from the failure, tee it up and swing like your life depended on it the next time. Because yeah, no matter whether you're pre-revenue and you just got a dream and nothing, or you're Elon Musk, every single bat matters
0: there's always time to do it over and fix it right whether or not you get it right in the first place
1: in fact no one gets it right in the first place no one and and that is a good thing because the feedback right is what will actually make the right product market fit. now you need to make sure as you're dreaming up your idea that you size up what the addressable marketplace was. Right. So there's a very big difference between a passionate hobby and a entrepreneurial startup. And one's not right or wrong. They're just different. Right. A hobby is something that impacts a very, 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 very small niche of people that you can't actually make a net income business out of. <laughs> And that and those are great to be invested in your time
0: just like like
1: coaching softball maybe exactly right exactly the pink diamond softball team has a universe of about 25 people total right no way to make a successful entrepreneurial endeavor there, uh, but yet i'm wildly passionate about it i put a lot of time and energy to it and i wouldn't trade it for the world and um, so i think it's just making sure that you're clear early on of in the, what we call the business discovery phase, right? So we have 10 steps that we put every idea through to make sure it's a viable business model uh, before we hit go. Uh, And I think whatever your process is in that early discovery phase, you wanna size up. Is this problem impacting enough people that there is a commercial business here or am I having a great hobby that is the knot tying business or the pink diamond softball team or you know making soaps uh, handmade for a farmer's market, that's great and maybe you make a side hustle, you know, a couple hundred dollars a weekend on that and if you like investing your time that way, go for it. Just don't build an entire corporate endeavor on top of something that's too small of a marketplace.
0: The other one thing I want to call out, Tim, though, for again for folks to kind of revisit, is you you mentioned that you put your decisions through the the North Star and the three T's and and all. That's a critical component too that I've seen most successful entrepreneurs create a decision matrix, right? And if that that's your first tier, and that's something that you know for anybody listening, if you don't currently have something like that, that filter can save you a ton of not just time, but ang- anguish, anxiety, emotional energy. I mean, you, you name it. What? Can you comment a little more on that? Absolutely.
1: Um, so for us, the hiring starts with do we really, we have one person in the hiring process who's identified at the very beginning whose sole purpose in addition to all the other people that the candidate is going to visit with, but that one person's sole focus is, do we really believe that they want to be of service to someone other than themselves? Like that's her whole job or his whole job, Whomever gets identified as you're the culture fit person and they know it. And we've told the candidate too, right? Mm-hmm. But I think all the way up to the hiring process. And before someone even comes on board, make sure that person understands very clearly, and if you spend 30 minutes of your time with someone who's only going to talk to you about what the north star of this company is you're going to understand that it really matters right because you we asked you to spend 30 minutes and we took somebody and invested their 30 minutes in and Mm -hmm. on the decision making piece we then go through what we call the three t's trust transparency tenacity and we'll put every business decision we'll put every personnel decision we'll put investor decisions. Everything passes through that matrix. And and to your point of saving time and anxiety, it means when you get to those big decisions, it's sort of like my 11 year old son, my oldest son, is a really blessed, a great basketball player. He plays AAU basketball and he's obsessed like his daddy was. Uh, and, and it's really great to watch. But free throw shooting is all about repetition. She who shoots the most free throws is the best. Percentage free throw shooter, right? It's just purely muscle memory, right? And when he gets in there and he shoots 100 free throws a day, people are shocked, like, wow, he's a 94% free throw shooter. I'm like, it surprises me that it surprises you. He puts in the work, like, shoots 100 free right. throws <laughs> a day for three years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this matrix does for you. When you put every decision through your matrix, the little, tiny, small ones, like, Should we expand in the market? Should we not expand? Should we have this product? Should we not have it? When you get to the really big one, should we sell the company to these people? Should we not? You're now muscle memory. And and that's what takes some of the anxiety out of it. Um, It also is very helpful for consistency inside of your organization. So if somebody- Right, because you're
0: providing clarity for everybody else who's making those decisions.
1: And everybody else is getting the exact same treatment. Right over and over and over again, right? Um, and, and it's really important because again, it, what you put out there manifests itself into a actual reality for your organization, your consumers, right? So how we as the executive leader team act is how the rest of the people act. Shocker, you know? Like if the teacher at the front room, kindergarten's a mess, guess what? Kindergarten room, a mess. And that's I think it, when we get into business context, though, sometimes, particularly at really big companies, right, there's sort of this do as I say, not as I do approach. And that is absolute cancer to a company.
0: Like, just, Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. The dissonance, the lack of integrity, fidelity and message, all the rest of it, just the wheels come off.
1: Well, and here's why the wheels come off, because the other... 10,000 employees know that absolutely everything here is bullshit.
0: Right. They I mean, they see it. And oh. No matter how, how well you think you're hiding it, they see it oh. because it's all behaviors, right? That's the other thing that I think people, we, we say these words, like your three T's and or a star and all, but those are all manifest. You can, you determine whether people are aligned with that through their behaviors, not through their right. actions, not through what they say to you.
1: Absolutely. It, it, and it, it gets all the way down to how you, you know, as simple as answer well, the phone. Or or are we going to be transparent with our client? Like we jack something? Right, up. right, right. Right. Are we going to be transparent and tell the client that this was on us and that we owe them a make good? And the answer is always absolutely. And we're going to point it out to them. We're not going to let them come to us and be like, what the F happened here? Like, nope. Right. We're transparently disclosed. This is where we had a failure. This is the process to which we will fix the failure. And here's what we would like to do as a make good to be of service to you. Does that work for you? Right. And we refer to it as Mary Poppins. It's our Mary Poppins clause. We put all the medicine on the spoon and take the whole spoonful at once. So not only will we go through that process, we're going to give you 100 percent of the money back. Not like, ooh, we give you 20% of the money because we did 80% of it right. Like, nope. If we didn't, this, <laughs> yeah. Here's all the money. You get the eighty percent that was right. Hope you enjoyed it. And what else can I do to be of service to make this right? And if the answer is nothing, I respect that, and I apologize, and I take accountability for it. And then you move on. That's the other part is you don't need to continue flogging the organization over. It. You learn the lesson. You put the ball on the tee again, and you swing as hard as you did the very first time six years ago, or right. ten years, or two weeks ago, depending on where you are in your arc.
0: Oh, totally cool. Um, Tim, this has been a great conversation, man. I, I really appreciate it. I think you have a lot of gems and a lot of great wisdom to share. So, I, I really appreciate you doing that with our audience. Is there anything else, any last thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: No, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, it's so fun for me to um, be able to share some of the things that we've been successful with, and some of the things we've learned from uh, with you and your audience. So, thank you all. Uh, for having me, thank you for listening. And just remember always keep grinding, never,
0: never, never give up. Cool. Thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Right.
1: Thank you for listening.